0: The sermon series we have been going through is called Napkin Conversations. The idea that we have covered is we want to be a people who are able to share our faith. We want to be a people who are able to talk in this culture in such a way that that people are able to understand And so we talked about the fact that evangelism in our culture is broken, and we delineated a bunch of reasons why evangelism is broken in our culture. And today we're going to get into another one, and also what we're going to do about it. So we determined that our first place to go to is to listen to people's religious experiences. We understand that all religion is, in essence, the human move to connect the human to the divine. It is, a, it is a reach. It is something that we are doing. And so every individual in our culture has this reach where it's something that they're doing to try to connect to the divine. And what we've understood is that the story that we tell of the gospel is a story that's unique It's a story that's different because we're not telling that person's story of their religious experience, and we're not telling my story of my religious experience. We're telling God's story about how God has reached from the divine to the human. We're telling God's story about how God, the one who is unreachable, has reached down to us to say, I am with you, I will be with you, and I will make everything right. Last week we looked, at, we looked at the gospel in 30 words and I referred a book to everybody called Reunion by Bruxy Cavey. It's still a good book to read even this week. And, uh, and so that book went through the gospel in 30 words, but the gospel in five words was Jesus is God with us there's your good news there's the core of god's story is god's whole story is about how he can be with us and so Jesus was God with us and he is coming back and he will live with us and you can recite revelation 21 for that so there's our there's our recap today we're talking about how evangelism is a corporate task and not an individual task as much so um, yeah, so if you have any questions or comments or you know, thoughts about the service, you can text them in um, by using the um, Today's Message part of your tablet. At the bottom of the notes, there's a, there's a text box. You type that in, and, uh, and then they will get sent to me at the end of the service, and we'll be able to do that. I grew up thinking that people who don't go to church are somehow bad. They, they are people who swear or they, I don't know, um, they, might, they might drink alcohol. I grew up as a, in a non-alcohol family. So those people might drink alcohol and alcohol is, oh, wow well, how bad. Or, or teenagers, oh, teenagers were the worst. That's the way I grew up. Teenagers were the worst because as soon as there were four of them, they were a gang. And the gang means sex, drugs, and violence. Yeah. That was my experience. I grew up in, in Wilcox Lake, O'Cridge's Richmond Hill, okay? And, and I remember that there was a guy five houses down and he was the drug dealer and his name was Guy. And I had a walkie-talkie in my hand. It was implanted. It was good. And I could talk to my friends about all the drug activity that Guy was doing. These people that don't go to church are bad. They're clearly doing drugs. Well, that was church culture, right? That was the way that I grew up. It was in the 80s, and that was, that was the perception. And, and this negative story of what everybody else is doing, as I grew up and I went into ministry and I, and I got into real life, I started realizing that people aren't as bad as I was told they were. I just spent a week at a family's cottage who they have never darkened the door of the church. And guess what? Nobody swore. And we had fun. And we laughed and we went on a boat ride and we just enjoyed God's creation and we were having a great time. And I realized this huge epiphany that we live in a culture where people are good. It's wonderful. Now there are problems, but people they see themselves as good. They're moral people. My my child was was asking about police and uh and she was like, "Why do we why do we even need police?" And I was like, "Well, when there are people that that do some bad things, the, the police come and they they charge them and 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 they get them in trouble." And she goes, "Oh. Well, that doesn't happen much, does it?" Well, Percentage-wise, it doesn't. Percentage-wise, most people are upstanding citizens. And I just found that this, like, revelation that that people see themselves as good. They want to do good work. They volunteer their time. They give to charities. They are involved in in good things. They, They will the good. And that's the way that our culture is. It's a bunch of people who want things to be better than they are right now, and they're doing the best they have with what they have. And, and that realization made me realize a little bit about why evangelism in our culture is broken. Because evangelism in our culture starts with, and, and I heard this at seminary, and it was being argued on a theological level, that to get to the good news, you have to present the bad news first. So what you have to do is you have to convince the person of their dire need for Jesus because they are a dirty, rotten sinner. That's step one. And I'm like, oh, we're missing our audience. We're missing the way that people understand themselves. People know that they have issues. I have an issue. I have more than one issue. Sometimes you can see them, Um, honestly. So so people know they have issues, but at their heart, they're like, we're good people. We're good people. And so the sinner message is important, but it's not compatible with their perception of themselves. So individual evangelism hasn't worked. And we're, we're pushing it and going like, you're a sinner. You need Jesus, blah, 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 blah. And then, and then that doesn't work. So what we did is the whole church culture stepped back. And we're part of that culture. That's why my first, see, uh, first message in this, I was sitting down because I'm part of this culture. We stepped back and we said, well, what are we going to say now? What are we going to say to culture? And in the 90s and in the 2000s, we talked about lifestyle evangelism. And lifestyle evangelism is this idea. It's God has made me by his spirit. He has changed me, and he has given me hope, and he has given me joy. And so what I'm going to do in my lifestyle is I'm going to show that I am different than everybody else. And what's going to happen is everybody is going to start asking me why I am different, and then I'll be able to tell them about Jesus, and, and so we switched our modality from being telling them the bad news first to the good news. We switched to now it's all on me to live an upstanding citizen life that everybody's going to notice that there's something different about me. The reality is that rarely actually happens. Because, because if you actually talk to people, they will notice that we're touting the exact same message that the world is touting. Be good! Be the change you want to see in the world. Hope for peace and do your best to build it. Hundreds of memes from well-meaning individuals, both churched and unchurched, talking about how if you're just a do-gooder, then that's going to improve the world. The only person you can change is yourself. And so we have all these superhero comments about how much we can just, by our lifestyle, change. And, and when Christians say, well, my story is just about lifestyle, well, there's nothing really that's distinguishing you from another person as well. That They're, they're good people too. Man, I have, I have a friend. She is a better person than me. Honestly, she does things that are wonderful in her community. She's so involved. She's like, she does all these things, invests her passion and her time. And, and, and this is what she does. And she's like, I don't know a thing about God. I don't have a clue about God. I don't know. I don't know the story of God. I don't understand a thing. And I'm like, oh, so when I'm just doing good, somebody just thinks I'm an individual doing good. Okay. So... Luke chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Jesus sends out the 72. And after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, along with his disciples, and sent them out ahead of him, two by two, in every town and place where he himself was about to go. Where he himself was about to become present there's this there's this mission right here that is done not individually but done as a foreshadowing of the presence of God there's a mission that's accomplished in a unity that walks into a town that announces that God is about to show up That God himself is active and doing something. And today, we're looking at that. One of the things that's happened over the years is people say, and this is a common cultural comment, people say, I am spiritual, but I'm not religious. Okay? We identify as spiritual, as Canadians, we identify as spiritual, but not religious. We are, what the academics would call us, a post-Christian culture. A culture where Christianity is passé, it's a thing of the past, and, and we exist in a secular, naturalistic culture. So, what's happened in that, and what that's communicating, is that there's a reputation of the institution of the church, and that reputation has been broken in the eyes of the unchurched. When I talk to people about coming to church, they they sense that they're like there's something that's that's challenging, there's something that's hard about going to church. It's so like either outdated, old old school mind, closed minded, or it's just wrong. There are people who are just like, no, church is negative because of the institutionalization that's happened, the way that, oh, well, these people are doing this, and this is what you have to do, and, and, and in our culture, we're very individualistic. Institution is the structure and the way things are done, and this is the order that they do things in, and that one has been seen as negative, and in our culture, individualism is what reigns supreme in our culture i am my own person nobody gets to tell me what to do and so so this is this is where we have a reputation problem because the reputation is well we're broken it's mired in controversy and distrust the reputation problem says says oh yeah but did you hear about those priests dot 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 the reputation problem is oh but church is only about money that's all they want. They just want your money. They, they want to make you sit through service and get your money, and the service doesn't really do anything, and so you just you get money. And that's what it's about. The reputation of the church is, is oftentimes seen negatively as a place that is just there to make you feel bad about yourself. I've heard all of those directly. All of those directly, and maybe you have as well. And so the reputation is is mired in controversy. Leadership leaders falling due to sexual immorality, um, due to recently due to uh, money managing problems, or due to uh, just being arrogant, and bossy, harassment. All of these things. The, the church it has been has been struggling. And so what's happened is is we go okay. Well, we don't want. We don't want to promote that right now. We want to hide that. We want to just be like, "No, no, no. We're not we're not we're not like other churches. We're different. We have tablets, guys." <laughs> we're not like them. Those churches, oh no, those are bad churches. Here, we're the good church. And and so we we you know, churches have tried. They've tried to rebrand themselves. We're the good church compared to those ones. Oh man, those ones they're so legalistic all oh, those people. <laughs> And so some of, some of what's happened is, is we've gone like, we, we, try to, we try to rebrand or whatever to get people to come to our church. And people are like, what? I don't, I don't get it. One of the big things that, that's happened culturally is we have, and this is way before any of us were alive, in the church, we reduced... We reduced the idea of law and what God was doing in his law to moralism. We reduced the law of God to moralism. And when we did that as an institution, we became the moral police. This is about 120 years ago. And, the, and it, was an out, it was an outworking of the holiness movement and the, and the Puritanism and and we became moral police. And that became the role of the church. And through the, you know, through the, the liberation of the 20s and the and the depression in the 30s, and then and then we push on into, into the into the 50s and the and the sexual revolution of the of the sixties, culture rejected moral policing. And so rejected the church. That's where we sit. That's what made us a post-Christian world because we chose to say, okay, so here's law, it's moralism, and then we became moral police. And culture has rejected them that. We did it under the word holiness. So what we we did in that is we said holiness is morality. And what I want to do is I actually want to expand that a little bit today. I want to expand that. I want to actually build it back out to what holiness is. Holiness has two points that I want to make. One is holiness is actually about difference. It's about set-apartness. The word holy actually translates into English as set-apart. It is a people who are different or a God who is different Holiness, the first step about holiness is to recognize that God is other. He is different than us. In every way, God is different, which means God is holy. God, then in connecting with people, said, be different because I am different. Be holy as I am holy. And he set in place the law. And he was like, this is how you will live and it's holy. Now, it's not holy based on some, some strange principle. It's actually holy in comparison to the other cultures around. It is different, set apart. So I want to show us that, that it's not just about morality. In Deuteronomy 23, 12 to 14, this is a really odd verse if, if uh, the Bible or if the law is about morality. So check this out. Deuteronomy 23, um, verse 12, says, You shall have a place outside the camp, and you will go out to it, and you will have a trowel with your tools. When you sit down, you'll dig a hole with it and turn back and cover up your excrement. Okay, pardon? Sunday morning church, I'm sorry. This isn't appropriate. It pretty much says... When you poo, poo outside of the camp. And then bury it. That's what it says. Now, if we say that the law is about morality, it is then to say that to poo in the camp is immoral. No. It's not an immoral act to poo in the camp. This isn't about that. There's something much greater going on. It's so funny that, you know, we're... The Bible's talking about where you poo. Like, come on. But it gives us a reason. Verse 14, and this clarifies so much of the law. Verse 14 says, because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp. It's about cleanliness. It's about being different. It's about there's something here where God is present and so we act differently. Because God is here, we act differently. And the idea of Israel was that every nation around would look to Israel and say, their God is better than our God. They do things differently. They have a God who is active. And, when, and it's a community that, that represents this God. And that's why God said, be holy. Because as a community, they're being called out to be different than everyone else. They're being called out to actually make a difference to to one of the benefits of this arbitrary law is it actually reduced disease. It reduced disease in the Israelite camp. Whereas other camps didn't practice that type of discipline. They actually had greater disease. And so they're making a difference. They're showing the world a way that's different and better than what the world knew at the time. Oh, there's something about church right there. A people gathered together, showing the world a way that's better than what they have. There's an idea of church right there. As the church, we are God's people. Matthew 16, 15 to 18. Says, he said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right there. Right there, we have the idea of church. Right there, God says, this is my idea. I am going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. promised church is built by God to be a place that shows the world a holy God, a God who is different, who says you can connect with this God through the person of Jesus Christ, to be a place where we come together and we make a difference in the world. And we say, this is what it is, because, one, God walks among us here and now. Every single Sunday, we actually come to rest in the presence of God. Every single Sunday, God, by his Holy Spirit, encourages people, builds people up, changes them, challenges them. And that's what's happening here. This isn't about money. It's not about behavior. It's about God meeting with us and in in changing our lives and enriching it. That's why we gather. And God is making everything right. And this is why we go. This is why we go because God is making everything right. See, what happens when the integrity of the institution rises above the mire of its reputation? What happens when when people start to look at promised church and they say, not only promised church, but other churches in Bradford, other churches around, and they look at the church and they say, the church is a fundamental place that that the essence of, of what is good comes out of it. That the church is visibly, actively doing things that are good, What happens when we actually push off the mire of the controversy of the the negatives and we actually say, no, with all integrity, when you get down to what we do as a people, we meet with God and God meets with us and we improve our community to make it look a little bit more like what God intended. What happens when a church as a corporate body can actually express itself inside a town as the light that's built as a city on a hill. And that's the vision of Promise Church, that, that that's the reason I've given up everything to move into this because, because that's what we happen. That's what's going to happen. The institution of the church is Jesus' idea, so we can't give up on it. We can't distance ourselves because of the bad reputation say, well, we're just a bunch of individuals. We're going to have church in a coffee shop. No. No, the church is worth fighting for. Not just promised church, but all churches. They're worth fighting for. They're worth saying, yeah, we're going we're to do this. And God is going to work and he's going to show up. It's not something we could give up on because God hasn't given up on it. Promised church, get this, is intended to be the reason that people believe in God. It's intended to be an apologetic. So it's a place where, where we the the reason, like when we act, when we do things, people look at that and they say, "I believe in God because that community is showing me that community is doing stuff that's so different and so awesome. I have to believe in God because God is doing something there. There is something very different happening here. And I believe that that's what the church is—the whole church. We're called to give testimony of God's current action in our community." Because the church, get this, if you look at, at, at Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 to 16, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this is where we get the idea that the church is the, is the continued body of God here in the world. Guys, if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you because you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, what we do as a community is Jesus' action. When we ignore the things in the community, Jesus is in action ignoring the community. <laughs> what? It's, that's what the community sees. God doesn't, God doesn't care. And you're just like, because God has called us to be the body of Christ. It's not, it's not you are the body or you are the body. It's we are the body. I'd like to challenge everybody. When you're reading your Bible, if the word, especially in the New Testament, if it says you, it's actually talking about all of us. It's plural. You. You are the body. And so, so he calls us into this incarnation. So what happens if an institution invests in the neighborhood? I mean, who gets the credit? Who gets the credit? When I invest in the neighborhood individually, and I even try to do it anonymously. Oh, I'm just doing good. I'm just doing good. Somebody finds out. And who gets the credit? Me. I get the credit. But when we, as a people, unite and do something, it's not me that gets the credit now. It's Promised Church. I'll show you. Chris Hadfield Public School, letterhead. Dear Promise Church Congregation, we would like to extend our sincere gratitude for the act of kindness you recently bestowed on Chris Hadfield Public School. The items you purchased for our staff are already in full use. The Nespresso machine is a real hit, resulting in very many cups of much needed coffee. We also greatly appreciate the pots, pans, and dinnerware you donated to our staff room. Having your congregation in to share, present these items was entirely heartwarming. You'd be hard-pressed to find a dry eye in the audience that day, and having the children present the gifts was, an incredib- was incredibly powerful for our staff. Knowing that Chris Hadfield Public School is your place of worship and is sacred space to your congregation reinforces our school-wide goal of inclusion. Again, we thank you for your generosity, and we will never forget this kind gesture. Who gets the credit? Promise Church. Promise Church gets the credit, and guess what? We know this is a sacred place. They know this is what we're doing in the name of God that God is actually active. They hear it loud and clear. When we gather together, I don't get the credit, you don't get the credit, God gets the credit. And so that's what happens when we do this. So our plan at Promise Church is we're going to start small. We are going to reach our community. We're going to use napkin conversations where we listen and we tell the story of God. And we are going to... Um, do things called promise grants. A promise grant is when you get together with a small group of people from this congregation and you invite somebody else in, anybody, and use these you-are-invited cards. You are invited. They're blank on the back. You write where you're going to meet. It's very simple. We're going to meet here because Promise Church is giving us a grant to do something to improve our neighborhood. It can be little, it can be big. I don't care. It, you can host a dance if you want. I don't care what you do. You can, you can say, hey, we're going to have a, a party on our street and we're going to buy all the barbecue stuff and we're going we're gonna to just go party it up and have some fun. Cool. You can do that. And you take these cards and, and you brainstorm and you say, what is it that we want to do that's going to help our community come together? And you do it under the banner of Promise Church because at Promise Church we promote Christ. You do it under the banner of Christ and his action, Promise Church, and you say, we're just investing in the community. We're showing people that God is good. So you brainstorm how to use a grant. You know, at first people got intimidated by this. What what are are we going to do? The people who have done it, you know what they've said to me? They said, I can't believe how easy that was. It was ridiculously easy. It was like we just... We got together sometimes, we, we chatted, we ate some food, we thought of some ideas. Sometimes we actually, one of them, we just met in that room over there and we just chatted. We're like, hey, what can we do? Oh, we can do this. Great idea. Okay, let's go ahead and do it. Awesome. It's so easy. You just think of, hey, what can we do that's good? Not hard, no pressure, really simple things. And we go ahead and we do that. And so so... We, as a church, we approve the ideas. We're like, yeah, that makes sense. Go do it. And then we move forward. So my question is, who wants to do it? Who wants to actually say, yeah, I'll host one. And who wants to join in on one and say, yeah, let's do that. Let's actually reach into our community and make a difference. Let's find a street. Let's let's let neighbors introduce themselves to each other. Let's... Let's do something behind the scenes, if you want, that's just beneficial for a small group of people. Don't care. Tell me about it. Come talk to me. Be like, yeah, I want to do that. I want to do something there that's going to represent Christ. So I've got a couple text messages. I'm going to throw them up on the screen here. Do you believe lifestyle evangelism was ever effective for a time in church's history? The statistics behind that aren't extremely clear, but we do know that um, from the time of the Great Awakening where we went to the Hellfire and Brimstone story and we went through all of that, um, from that point on every model that's come after it has had diminishing returns. So the last time that we were really really good at evangelism would have been would have been um, through Billy Graham crusade models. That would have been the last time we were really good. Um, but even those ones, the statistics bear out that a lot of those conversions didn't last. So lifestyle evangelism has effect, yes, but as a form of evangelism, it's it's not it's not being shown to be extremely effective. Words. Are required so the uh, the mantra of lifestyle evangelism was St. Francis of Assisi who said uh, share the gospel always use words when necessary um, and what he meant was live good and and then share the words and what lifestyle evangelism did with it was they said try to show God through your works so effective possibly but very am- ambiguous it doesn't tell God's story well Post-Christian is worse than presented. It's paganism burst out of a Christian culture because its roots it's inoculated to the gospel. Oh my gosh! Thank you. Yes. Um, when you look at when you look at agnosticism and atheism, they are philosophical branches of Christianity. And it's like, it's painful when you look at that and you see it. Because they're philosophical branches of Christianity, they're actually not just rejecting God, they're rejecting the Christian God. And so, yes, we actually have that. And it's birthed out of a Christian culture, and I'm going to argue that it's birthed out of a Christian culture that became insular. It became just about us. And it stopped reaching into a community. And so what we need to do is we need to present both sides of God's promise. The one is, yeah, God promises to be with us. Absolutely. Sunday mornings, God promises to be with us. And I pray that you are encouraged today that God is with you. And I pray you have been challenged today by the Holy Spirit because God is with us. But it also needs to carry with it. God is going to make everything right. And we need to be in the community. Otherwise, we actually continue to push the reputation of the church farther away from our culture. And so those are my thoughts on that statement. Next one. How do we shift our practical execution of evangelism from an individualistic perspective to an institutional perspective in our everyday lives? Wow. This one's huge. So this one is is. When I said the church is the apologetic that leads people to Jesus, what I mean is we as a church need to build the integrity that we're active in our community. We have currently done four grant programs. Each one has made an impact. Um, Recently, I got a text message from the person that did the the hockey one, um, that we did the hockey one. It was our first one last September. And they asked us if we're interested in doing it again, you know? This is, we are making an impact. And so, Devin, you can come on up. We're making an impact. When we as an institution are making an impact, then our individual story, our individual evangelism is when we are in conversation telling people God's story, one of the proofs we have that God is doing something is say, look at the church it's actually doing something because God has called us to do something so what we need is we need the integrity of action that's stronger than the the stronger than the words it backs up the words it reinforces them and we need that as a as a as an institution it's so required for us so let's pray god it's it's challenging it's challenging for all of us to hear that that yeah we need to be reaching out, and it's challenging enough to hear, okay, so, so I need to tell somebody about Jesus, but it's, it's also challenging to hear that, that as, as a community, we are given a responsibility to reach into our, our neighborhoods, to impact them, to have compassion. We're, we're called to do simple things like build community by introducing people to each other. We're called to do simple things like buying stuff for a school and showing love through through almost passive actions. But God, these things give credibility to the message of what you're doing in the world. And when we do them together, we know that you're doing them. So God, help us work past our own fears and insecurities, our own preferences of what we would like to do, Help us lean into being an institution that loves you. Help us lean into being what it is to be the body of Christ. Give us creativity. In Jesus' name, amen.